Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for war? Conspiracy Farm, go, check it out. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, off to the races, another episode of The Conspiracy Farm. And to sin by silence when we should protest makes cowards out of men, ladies and gentlemen. The guest we have on today is so, so very special to me personally, because anybody who's listened to the show, they know that this whole thing with me and how I see the world and where it started was the JFK assassination. As a young man and getting my mind around all of that, and there was a line in that movie that said something to the effect when Jim Garrison at the end was addressing the court, he says... I think when we were all children, we were all raised to think that justice was something that came into existence automatically. That virtue was its own reward and that good would always triumph over evil. But as we get older, we recognize this is just simply not the case. That individual human beings have to create justice and this is not easy. Because truth oftentimes poses a threat to power. And power oftentimes has to be fought at great risk to oneself this gentleman we have on today has done that very thing for a very very long time and has understood that the um you know some of the downside and the things that can come with that fight to power and speaking truth to power man i mean he's just been all over the last several years of our lives he started basically reality tv with real people byron allen allen saren purcell back in the day five-time emmy winner writer producer extraordinaire and what really caught my eye when i was a young man Back in the day, cable television, late night was JFK, the Jim Garrison tapes. And even though I was living with my parents and I knew my mom would get mad if I hit that pay-per-view button, I bought it. And it just helped spiral down this, this rabbit hole that I've been on. So thank you so very much for being with us today, Mr. John Barber. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And I take every opportunity I can to try to tell Jim Garrison's story. Uh, it is, I think, probably the most interesting American story in the last hundred years. And it's probably the greatest story not fully told. And you mentioned the business of the truth. I've always thought that truth was the yin and yang of language. Mm -hmm. And that is that the dark side of it terrified people and that the light side of it inspired people and that was one of the reasons i uh, i love the title of my book uh, you guys didn't mention it so i will mention it i just got back from canada it came out in april it's my autobiography and i must tell the both of you you would absolutely love it judging by some of the things you said about real people and and the uh and the garrison tapes, and the t the title of the book is "Your Mother's Not a Virgin: the bumpy, <laughs> the bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American Television." Now, I've had only two people out of a couple of thousand get a little upset at the title because it's an uncomfortable truth, <laughs> and it all happened again. Like all the magnif most of the magnificent things that have happened in my life, fellas, happened to me quite by accident. While all the disasters were truly well planned by me, and the title of the book came about by accident when I first tried to book Jim Garrison on my morning show on uh, KBC in 1970. I was the uh, first one to host the. ABC morning show in Los Angeles. And I should tell you a little bit about the climate at the time. In 1970, a company or a person in this country could only own seven radio stations or seven television stations or mm -hmm. seven newspapers. And of course, when John Kennedy was killed in 1963, the number was only five at the time, but the worst president in American history, and I do not say this as an opinion. I try to speak only facts <laughs> and truth. <laughs> There's an ancient uh, Persian proverb that says, if you're going to tell the truth, you better have one foot in the stirrup. 
But in any, <laughs> I like it. In in any event, uh, with with Jim Garrison, you know, like most Americans, uh, I wasn't uh, yet a citizen of the United States uh, when I got the morning show. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been deported twice. Once when I was 17, once when I was 29. So it's really quite remarkable that this Charles Dickens character, this Oliver Twist, David Copperfield character, who's <laughs> kicked out of the country twice and got in trouble with the law in Canada many times, ends up changing the face of American television as a creator of real people ends up being the private writer to Frank Sinatra for four and a half years and by accident becomes Jim Garrison's Boswell. And mm. in, in any event, the in uh, in 1970, there were about 20,000 Chicanos challenging the license at ABC because they didn't think that they had a, enough representation on uh, on radio or television but mainly they wanted to change City Hall and the police department. And a lot of uh, local stations were challenged and some did lose their license. So ABC caved into them and decided to do a live 90 minute uh, uh, news information show. And they auditioned about 44 people. And one of the people that they, everybody thought that this fellow Mario Machado, have you ever heard the name? Are you from Los Angeles? No, sir. Well, you probably heard his name, uh, his voice in numerous commercials. He had a voice like uh, Orson Welles, magnificent voice. And he was the leading Chicano actor announcer in Los Angeles. Everybody thought he was going to get the job. And I was working out material for my stand-up at the Ice House along with Steve Martin. And afterwards, he stopped <laughs> me. He said, John, you know, they're having this morning show on ABC. You should try to down there and audition and i said hey mario they're going to give it to you for god's sake you're chicano that's what they want he said john i can only read well he said but you do stand up and you do a lot of political stuff and they're going to do political stuff so he gave me the name of the producer the guy's name was brad lockman i went down and auditioned did not expect to get it and i got it huh. now when i got the show i thought like everyone else in America, and like Jim Garrison, by the way, that the government was telling us the truth, that the lone assassin was Lee Harvey Oswald, and that was the the end of it. And I put people on the air that nobody would put on the air. I put on Muhammad Ali <laughs> when he refused to go to Vietnam because he said he had no problems with yellow people, just white people in America. They were trying to put him in jail. I gave him 90 minutes on the air to uh, say what he had to say. The same with Jane Fonda, who was very outspoken yeah. against the war. But they had a thing called the Fairness Doctrine at the time. So mm -hmm. we could not, I could not, even though I agreed with both of them, I could not say that on the air. Anyway, one day, it was 1970 when I got the show, Jim Garrison arrested Clay Shaw in 1967 and announced on the news that he had solved the case even before getting to court. He said, we will have convictions. We've got names. We've got the amounts of money changed for shooters and all the rest of it. And everybody in the media jumped on him. And the federal government jumped on him. Now, I'm a street kid. And he never got into court for two years. And I lost a couple of my friends when I said, you know, if the guy has nothing, get out of his way and let him fall on his face. Well, finally, on January 29th, 1969, he got Clay Shaw into court. There's serendipity for you. Hmm. My son was born January 29th, 1969. Wow. Wow. Day I'll never remember. Well, he lost the conspiracy case. And the media and the government were quick to spread the word that he lost his case. But he did not lose the case. He had the he lost the conspiracy case. He won the most important portion of the case, which was the perjury case. But we never heard about that. And I'll get that into that in a, in a little bit about the evidence that he would he would have sent Clay Shaw to jail for 99 years. 
with the evidence that we have in the garrison files, which I've I've been releasing. But in any way, it was over with in 1970, and I forgot all about it. And I'm in a bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard, and I pick up Heritage of Stone. And the author is Jim Garrison. And, oh, my God. you got to be kidding. The same guy. So I start to read. Fellas, I did not put it down. I hmm. stood in the bookstore and finished the whole book. Wow. I learned that he had to take time life to the Supreme Court to get the Zapruder film. And there was a, uh, a forensic pathologist named Fink, the only uh, forensic pathologist at the autopsy at Bethesda. And he's called as a defense witness for Clay Shaw's attorney, a guy by the name of Diamond, but under cross-examination. And by the way, Jim Garrison never argued in court. Uh, of course, you can't have Kevin Costner sitting in his office. <laughs> Other people are arguing. So that was a liberty that Oliver Stone took sure. in his absolutely excellent film. But under cross-examination, Fink said, they were not allowed to perform the autopsy. They were stopped by federal agents and they were stopped by military personnel. And one of them was probably, um, uh, oh gosh, I'll, I'll remember his name. Uh, very, very famous, Curtis LeMay. He absolutely loathed, loathed John F. Kennedy. And Fink went on to say they weren't allowed to look at films they weren't allowed to look at x-rays they weren't allowed to look at anything so if you go to the warren report right. all they have there are two cartoon drawings of john kennedy's head and there's a bullet going in the back coming out the front and going into Connolly in the front of Connolly, which was an absolute you know I was a, a, a couple of people started to pick on me when i made the first garrison tapes that you had mentioned, they said, Jesus, John, you were a stand-up comic, for God's sake. And you turn around and you make this documentary hammering the Warren report. How on earth could you do that? And I said, isn't it fitting, though, that a comic does this? Because the Warren right. report is by far the sickest joke ever played on America. So, wow. And, you know, I mean, especially I when you see who is assembled, you know, on the commission to have, you know, when we're going to get into it, to have someone like Alan Dulles to be so crucially a part of how, who killed Kennedy is just on its face laughable if it wasn't so sad. And then John J. McCloy, head of Chase Manhattan Bank. It was monumentally laughable and never challenged, which is kind of obvious when you look at 911 when George Bush, another war criminal over Iraq, for crying out loud, wanted to put Henry Kissinger in charge of the 911 investigation. Yeah. Yeah. And none of the press challenged this, but the thousands of people who were victims, just they marched on Washington for crying out loud, said you can't have Kissinger, another war criminal, in charge of this investigation. So that's why they, of course, they didn't have an investigation there. And the Warren report was not an investigation. It was held in secret for nine months and close to the public. It was just set up to prevent an investigation. So I called Mr. Garrison and asked him if he would come on. I said, you know, I just finished reading your book, Heritage of Stone. And he laughed and he said, oh, John, you must be the other one. I only sold two copies. Well, you gotta <laughs> love a guy like that. The truth is it was a bestseller. So he said, you know, I'd love to do it, but you'll never you'll never make it. They'll never let me on. And I said, listen, we just won our first Emmy. We're live. It's the most interesting untold story in America. Nobody's heard you on television. Now, it's just local, but you'll get on for a half an hour. Then we'll have phone calls for an hour. So he agreed to do it. We started to chat. And he said, you know, John, it's 1970. It's six years after the Warren Report. And do you know that 81% of all Americans polled by Harris and Gallup say they do not believe the Warren Report or that Oswald did it or acted alone? So I said, well, why aren't people marching then? Hmm. And he chuckled and he said, well, you didn't see the qu second question on the Harris poll. And I said, what was that? He said, they asked, would you like to see another deeper investigation, this time investigating also the FBI and the CIA? And he said, how many 
how many, what was the percentage do you think of Americans that wanted to see that? And I said, I don't know. And he said, only 23% wanted to see that. Now, what does that tell you about Americans? Wow. And it just popped out. I said, you know, Mr. Garrison, I know what it says to me. I know what my mother and father did in the rumble seat of the car or on the pool table or uh, <laughs> in the bedroom to conceive me. But don't ever tell me my mother's not a virgin. Well, he laughed really loud. And he said, you know what, John? That sounds like my favorite American writer, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. Right. And we've been fooled since November 22nd, 1963. He said, I'd be happy to do your show. I booked him on the show. I was fired immediately and he was canceled. But I never thought anything about the fact that the government would have something to do with this. I'm in show business for God's sake. Yeah. I was yeah. just comic and you know you don't you don't have a lifetime job you work one night or you work a week or you work 13 weeks on a series so i actually never thought about it and sort of forgot about it after that. i always found it interesting that he wound up being on like johnny carson talking about this i mean it was you just don't really hear that kind of I don't yeah know. but uh, do you know why he got on johnny carson mm -mm. no sir well what I'll tell you what you have to do. You saw the Garrison tapes. Yes, sir. Have you seen part two of the Garrison tapes? Um, the, the American media and the second assassination of John F. Kennedy? Yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, if, if uh, uh, it's only $2 on Amazon. I bought it. I watched it again today. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, you remember what happened is Jim Garrison's a main witness as to the uh, uh, witnesses that he, he had overheard Clay Shaw and David Ferry and Lee Oswald talking about crossfire in Dallas and the murder of John Kennedy was a, uh, a, a, a fellow, an insurance agent named Perry Raymond Russo. Perry Russo, yeah. Nice man. And he got a uh, call from NBC, a producer at NBC. And the producer at NBC uh, said that he was going to come down to me. He was assigned by the FBI and by the CIA to destroy Garrison's case by getting Perry Raymond Russo away from his jurisdiction and offering him a job. They got him a job in California for $50,000 a year. And uh, the uh, producer was coming down to tell him that he was going to destroy Garrison, and if he didn't go to California, he too would be destroyed. So Russo went to Garrison and said, this guy's coming down. And Garrison said, will you wear a wire? Hmm. He said, yes, I'd be glad to. So they had Was this, this the guy. Walter Sheridan, I believe his name is? Is that the yeah. gentleman? Okay. Sheridan. And thanks for reminding me of his name. And... Uh, and Sheridan was caught on tape bribing a witness with $50,000. Jim Garrison brought criminal charges against NBC and against Walter Sheridan. Wow. And the FCC, because it was a fairness doctrine, mm. had no choice but to give Jim Garrison, first of all, a half hour late night. He got the half hour late night before he got on the Carson show and he talked about the fact, here is the proof that the Central Intelligence Agency murdered our president and Lee Oswald had nothing to do with it. Well, the owners of the country, and we're not the owners, there are about six or 12 families that own America. They say, right. hey, we can't have this kind of truth television. That's why they killed the fairness doctrine. That's why they killed equal time. But the way that, uh, again, that Garrison got on The Tonight Show was Mort Saul was a guest. Now, Carson was unaware that Mort Saul was one of uh, Jim Garrison's investigators. He had volunteered. He left uh, Los Angeles in a very successful career, went to New Orleans to help Garrison. And Garrison said to him, you tell your friend Bobby Kennedy, he better come out with what he knows and thinks about the murder of his brother. Otherwise, he's not going to leave California alive. And, of course, you saw what happened. Wow. In 
California. So anyway, Mort's on the show. And Johnny Carson asks him what he's doing. And unrehearsed, spontaneously, Mort Saul says, well, I'm working with Jim Garrison in New Orleans. You should have him on the show. He's got some new stuff. There was an eruption of applause from the audience. So it was obvious to NBC that people wanted to hear Garrison. So they had no choice but to give him a bit of a voice on the Carson show. And of course, of course, Carson was rehearsed by both the CIA and the FBI and Walter Sheridan. And he was very uncomfortable, as you saw, and very inept at that. And and at one point in the film, and you see you see it in the film that you resaw, mm-hmm. Jim Garrison uh, says that uh, it is the president of the United States that is preventing us from seeing the facts about the assassination. And Johnny Carson says, why is that? And Garrison turns to him and says, Johnny, why don't you ask him? And there's another eruption of applause <laughs> from the audience. And of course, that was, that was the end of it. But I must tell you, the truth is, Jim Garrison solved the case. That's amazing. That's amazing. So with, within, you know, as you pointed out, the, the military and other other intelligence folks stopped the autopsy of the president of the United States who was laying dead on a on a table. The media obviously covering for them and the report that came out a couple of years ago saying that there were about 40 CIA operatives within the media in a pretty, pretty prominent places. Um, did you find that to be true in all of your research? And and if that was the case back then, how many are there now? That is a great question. And Patrick probably saw it if he resaw the film today, the American media and the second assassination of John Kennedy, because Frank Church held uh, investigative hearings into the Central Intelligence Agency and what was called Project Mockingbird. Right. Because they felt there were too many CIA agents in all of America's media writing the news. And we see from the film, they were in the New York Times, they were in the Washington Post, there was NBC, CBS, of course the two worst were uh, Project Mockingbird assets were Dan Rather and Walter Cronkite. And then you have Richard Helms, the head of the CIA, saying in response to a question from Senator Church, we have 400 members of the CIA writing the news. And the purpose of Project Mockingbird, the first fake war, according to Jim Garrison, you see it in the film, is a Cold War with Russia. Russia lost 25 million people. They were, the country was 80% totally leveled and destroyed. They were no threat to the United States. What was a threat was peace. And that was a thing that Eisenhower warned us about in his farewell speech when he said, we have to be careful about the military industrial complex and right. too much power. Well, they had not only they not only took control of the government in 1963, in further response to your question, we thought maybe Vietnam was an honest war because we were being, this reminds me of a great quote again, from Mark Twain during the fake Spanish-American War where the United States had had no reason to be invading and murdering a quarter of a million Filipinos. Mark Twain said 100 years ago, if you do do not read America's newspapers, you're uninformed. Hmm. But if you do, you're misinformed. Well, that's what television is doing doing to us and have been doing it to us before they murdered John Kennedy well, and you because have- in the film, in the film, Jim Garrison's talking about the number of CIA agents who are involved, of course, in the Dallas Police Department. He said, but I don't want to name names. And Patrick I might remember this quote. He said, but also members of the media before Dallas were in place to spread the fiction before the truth began to take hold. Well, the truth never took hold. Hmm. They stopped right. it. They absolutely and totally 
and totally well, you uh, guys help kind of help bring now, up. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, and uh, just uh, further about this, we thought it was maybe a real war, which it wasn't, and of course we knew Iraq was an absolutely total fake war. Saddam Hussein and the Iraqis had nothing to do with 911 and George Bush and Condoleezza Rice and Powell and Miller at the New York Times were trumpeting to go in there. And a million and a half Americans marched to post that war, and that war still took place. We had nothing to say about the war machinery that runs everything, everything in our country. Now, Iraq was a country. Okay, so maybe we could attack Iraq if they were an enemy or Afghanistan. But what do we have now? We have phantom terrorists. Hmm. They don't live anywhere. And if they don't live anywhere, the government has total control over us. Absolute control. Because they can call anybody anywhere in the world, including the United States, a terrorist. It is perpetual fake war that Gore Vidal warned us about, that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about, and George Orwell wrote about in 1984. Yeah, Smedley Butler as well, you know, war is a racket. And you kind of guys are helping me segue. I mean, people, when you talk about how deep the the layers of, of how this conspiracy was able to play out, in my humble opinion, and I want your comment on this if you don't mind, and Pat as well, the environment in what John Kennedy walked into in 1960 following, you know, World War Two, we obviously had the growth of, you know, the CIA, the OSS into the CIA and the beginning of the NSA. And that's when they started your Operation Mockingbird, et cetera. And then, you know, dynamics in the Middle East are playing out. Abdel Nasser is nationalizing the Suez Canal. And there's a lot of kind of globalist forces taking place. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, like you said, warned us of this growth of this military industrial complex. That, you know, like Smelly Butler said, is, is hell-bent almost on war, and our warriors become these, these, these gangsters for capitalists. So help people understand when a Bay of Pigs happens, and in and, and, and one swoop, in a single afternoon, John Kennedy ends the intelligence career that goes back to World War One and Two of an Alan Dulles, of a Richard Bissell, of a Charles Cabell, whose brother happened to be the mayor of Dallas when... You know, John Kennedy rides through the city of Dallas. Just speak to the climate that 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 John Kennedy walked into so people can kind of grasp the depths of the things he was unsettling. For the Central Intelligence Agency and the military industrial complex that Ike warned us about, the war did not end. The war did not end. And we have intelligence agencies that were built by Nazis because of Operation Paperclip. We brought 5,000 Nazis to the United States, and there were dozens of them who headed up and started the Central Intelligence Agency. And Jim Garrison was so smart, as you'll see in the American media in the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, when he was looking into the CIA's background of David Ferry and, and Clay Shaw and Lee Harvey Oswald, he looked into the birth of the CIA. It was signed into law by in 1947. And uh, what it was, it was signed into law because what happened is that Garrison says, you know, John, we have 18 intelligence agencies. Why do we need the CIA? They were set up for one purpose. And that was to change the hearts and minds of American people and convince them that commies were taking over the world. They were taking over Asia. They were taking over Cuba. They were taking over Latin America. And it was our divine right to go in there and destroy them. What a lot of people do not know. And you could be in, the, in Harvard University, for God's sake, or Stanford or Yale, and you're pol studying political sci science. You will not know that one of the best democracies in, in the Asian European continent in 1952 was Iran. Iran has never invaded anyone. The United States has invaded 37 different countries since the end of the Second World War. 
And what happened is a socialist guy, by the, a professor, Mossadegh, is democratically elected as the president. And the first thing he does is he he nationalizes the oil companies because he said 85% of all the money from the oil company is going to England and only 5, 15% to, to, to the source country, which was Iran. So he said, well, we're going to change it to 50-50. Well, Alan Dulles and John Prasadellis, they tell Eisenhower, this guy must be a commie doing that. We got to go in and get rid of him. They murder him. And they put in the Shah, who was a fascist. And there's the same thing happened to Allende in Chile. Salvador Allende was another democratically elected socialist. He was going to nationalize AT&T. He's also going to nationalize Pepsi-Cola. And Richard Nixon was the attorney for Pepsi-Cola at the time. And Kissinger and Nixon assigned the Central Intelligence Agency to murder them. Did we not just see that play out just recently in Bolivia as well? Almost that same script? They didn't kill the guy, but it... It is absolutely the same script. And, you know, look... We had this nonsense about Russia interfering in America's election. I don't know of one Russian who voted for Donald Trump. There were about 63 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump, but not one Russian. So what if the Russians have some Facebook accounts or Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts and they encourage people to go and vote? Well, let them go and vote. The difference between the Soviet Union and the United States is they're using computers to change foreign governments. We use and have always used assassins. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I would, I would um, dare to guess and say that what's going on in Hong Kong. I don't know how they got all the American flags over in Hong Kong that they're waving and singing the national anthem, but I'm guessing that that was uh, probably put together by by a few spooks from from our country and and paid some organizers to to put some things together. I mean that there there are some legit gripes, but that that thing is Hong Kong is is ready to erupt completely. Well, I wish Americans would feel that angry and take to the streets too, but they don't. Yeah. They yeah. Thought, they saw it does did absolutely no good. I get back to the business of the Bay of Pigs. Um I tell you an interesting story. One of my uh one of my cameramen, Patrick, on the very first show was a guy named George Elkins. And after the film came out and it got no release or distribution in the United States, even though it was a monster worldwide hit, nobody would show it in the United States. Uh, George Elkins came to me and he said, you know, John, I had a background like you. You know, I never saw my father. You know, he wasn't abusive. Uh, he was—he just was never around. He was in the military, but he never came home. And he said, I got a phone call from him. And he asked if you would meet with him at Patty's Restaurant in Toluca Lake and have a cup of coffee with him because he said he just retired from the Army and he would like to talk to you about your movie. So I was thrilled. I'm going to talk to a guy who was in the Army. And when I got when I went to meet him, he said to me, I'm sorry that I had my son come and call you to have you come here because what I wanted to tell you, I, I cannot tell you because I just retired. But I will tell you two things. Maybe I'll tell you three things and then I'll probably never speak to you again. And I'm going to try to help my son, whom I haven't seen and talked to in over 20 years. He said... We were in, just before the Bay of Pigs, we were all in Miami, and we had a huge war room, like in Dr. Strangelove with Peter Sellers, and every intelligence agent agency was there. We had a full map of the city of Miami. We were all picking up the offices that we would have. Maybe intelligence would have this, the CIA would have this office, and the FBI would have this office. And he said, all of a sudden, John Kennedy calls off the air support. And he had been talked into this attack. And we all hoped it would happen. 
of course, by the CIA, and Alan Dulles in particular. They said there would be an eruption of, a, of Cubans who would topple Castro, but it didn't happen. They defended Castro. Right. So Alan Dulles asked for air support, and John Kennedy said no. And you see in the movie, he says beforehand, there's going to be no American involvement right. in Cuba. And he said when we heard he had stopped that, there wasn't one person that didn't scream out they should kill that son of a bitch. Right. Now there must have been 50 or 60 intelligence people there that, when, when that happened. And then he said, you know Soldier Field in Chicago? And I said, yeah, isn't that where they play football? He said, well, you know, that was a stadium built uh, because of the First World War, he said, and they have an officer's quarters there. You can go there any day of the week, and you won't see 10 guys in there. They're playing gin rummy or something like that. He said the day of the assassination, it was half full. Now, get this. He, he, he disappears. And George Elkins, his son, calls me later. He said he got a call from somebody identifying himself as with the publicity department of the Central Intelligence Agency in Arlington, Virginia, and wanted to know if George Elkins would come back there and photograph their award show. Now, you know, the Central Intelligence Agency, they have their Emmys, they have their Grammys, they have their awards, okay? Now, George thought it was a hoax. And they asked him how much it would cost. Now, and he said, well, I need an extra cameraman, and we need hotels, and we need an airfare, and I like to fly them first class. At least $50,000. A guy says, well, check your, ma uh, check, your, check your bank tomorrow. Well, he, of course, George thought it was a fraud. He went to his bank the next day, and guess what? $50,000 was there. And then he got a letter with the directions, and he went back for two years. And he told me what they do is they line all these people up, men and women who have given service to the Central Intelligence Agency and done something to benefit supposedly America and the agency. They all got something pinned on them, and it was all videotaped. And when it was over, the director, the assistant director, would walk down the line and take it away from them. And then they would lock up the videos. Wow. The stories. <laughs> I, I, I it's mean, incredible. It really is. When you, when you, I mean, over the years, I mean, obviously it becomes one of those, and I hate almost talking about it. We got into another conversation about 9-11 as well. You know, the how of it, the, the why of it gets lost oftentimes in the how. How many shooters, from what angle, was it Lee, was it not Lee, was it a Mauser, was it a Carcano? How much does that? I mean, does that frustrate you at all? Or how do you? How do you? No, no, it is totally, totally meaningless. And I must tell you, all of these conferences—they're going to have a half a dozen conferences in Dallas and New Orleans. Yeah, they are absolutely, totally meaningless. And two or three really great people are speaking. I mean, you got Robert Tannenbaum speaking. Dr. Sarah Wett. Baker's conference. You got um, Oliver Stone speaking. And, you know, the truth is Oliver Stone could go into a movie theater, go into a university, charge 25 bucks and fill the place and just spend the night talking. Why he is wasting his time doing that is beyond me, because he can do nothing more than his magnificent film. His film got the Records Assassinations Act passed, which brings us to Donald Trump yeah. and the Central Intelligence Agency, Congress yeah. ruled that these files should be released last October. And the CIA talked Trump out of doing it. They said, national security, how can a 56-year-old murder have something to do with <laughs> national security? Hmm. There is a fellow named Jefferson Morley, who about eight years ago brought suit against the Central Intelligence Agency to release files. But it wasn't CIA files they wanted. he wanted released. We all know the CIA, the FBI, they talk in code. Right. They have no documents that say this is how we killed the son of a bitch. Right. None. <laughs> yeah. What they have are Jim Garrison's files. 
because Jim told me, I asked him if he had been subpoenaed by the House Select Committee. He said, no, it's another fraud, but I sent them my documents. And that's what Jefferson Morley sued for. And it took him five years to get it into court in Washington, D.C. And eight or nine months ago, a judge supported the Central Intelligence Agency by refusing to allow the release of Jim Garrison's files under freedom of information to Jefferson Morley. And guess who the judge was? I don't know. Kavanaugh. Oh, <laughs> Pat, did you hear that? I think Pat might have stepped off for a second. John Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court, yep. Supreme Court Justice. That's right, appointed by Trump to the Supreme Court. So what's that business all about? And the other thing, you know, they've, they have just, uh, they're, they're talking about Roger Stone probably getting uh, 50 years in prison. I do not think Roger Stone will get 50 years in prison. There's a possibility he may be pardoned, but you know, he was a close advisor for to Donald Trump and friend for three years. Now, when they were alone, Roger Stone wrote this ridiculous, silly book about Lyndon Johnson being the planner and the organizer of the assassination of John Kennedy, which is nonsense. He obviously benefited, and he may have had foreknowledge. I can't say for sure he had. For foreknowledge. Bar McClellan had another had a book similar with a similar know, narrative. You know that Donald Trump and Roger Stone, when they were alone, talked about the assassination of John Kennedy. And there are millions of people in this Q movement that's just taken root in America in the last year or two who believe that the same forces that killed John Kennedy are after Donald Trump. So when to quote Betty Davis from um all about Eve. Hang on, uh, fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy ride to the elections. So, um, uh, and there's so many things that Americans are absolutely, totally unaware of. One of the things they're unaware of that I'm glad that we have in the film is that the first, uh, what, and the House Select Committee came about by accident. Um, it was uh, Geraldo Rivera in uh, 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 the late 70s, 1975, I believe, he had Dick Gregory on and Robert Groden on, yeah. and they showed the Bruder film for the first time. M literally millions of Americans for the first time saw that Dan Rather lied to them. Walter Cronkite lied. The media lied. They have to have a new investigation. So they set up the House Select Committee. And the first guy appointed to head it is a guy named Richard Sprague, a tough Philadelphia lawyer who's gotten a lot of long sentences to mafiosa and teamsters and the rest of it in Philadelphia. He has a staff of six. And he says publicly, we are not hiring anyone from the FBI or the Central Intelligence Agency to investigate this murder, which we will solve. He said, we are going to investigate them. Now, the 400 people that I mentioned that Richard Helm said would writing the news is a pittance compared to the number of CIA people they have in Congress, mm. they have in the Senate, they have every place. And what happened was all of them coordinated to get rid of Richard Sprague. Fortunately, we found that soundbite, and it's in the film. The American media in the second assassination of John F. Kennedy, and they appoint this hack, G. Robert Blakey, this hack law professor from Columbia who <laughs> dedicates his book to the CIA and blames the mafia. Now, I'm telling you, if Americans believed Italians murdered John Kennedy, there wouldn't be a pizza parlor in America. Well, there is the Russian mafia as well. But, yeah, I mean, do you think there was any involvement from your Carlos Marcellos, your Santos Traficani, your Sam Giancana on, on any level? Absolutely. They were all hirelings. Right, right. They were all hirelings for them. You know, this is how smart Jim Garrison was and how easy it was 
unfortunately, I didn't have time in the second movie, uh, but I do have it on my site. I'm going to tell you something else I have to on my site that all of you people should go and see. You'll know absolutely Jim Garrison solved the case. You don't have to look at any movie or buy any book or do anything except look for the Garrison files, which I have released. I've released the first five of them on Oswald, on Lee Harvey Oswald, David Ferry, and uh, and Clay Shaw. The first one was uh, Shaw because that's the one who got the trial. David Ferry committed suicide, leaving two, two suicide notes. But in any event, Oh, I forgot where I get so excited when when I talk I talk about this. But there is absolute and total proof in the Garrison files that he had solved the case. And I can tell you of one or two or three things that are in there. We only have about ten minutes left, so you may want to ask me a question. And the reason I'm releasing those files is because so far Donald Trump has not signed an executive order either reversing the Communications Act. I mean, he's a guy that brought up fake news, and that's the reason I made the second documentary, because he sounded like Jim Garrison. I interviewed Garrison on September 5th, 1981, and he was talking about fake news, for God's sake. Mm. And then when Trump brought it up when he was running with the other dirty dozen Republicans to get into the White House, I said, I better go back and listen to Garrison. And he sounded like Trump. And so that's the reason I made it. But if Trump really believes there is fake news, sign an executive order. John Kennedy signed an executive order that would have put an end to the Federal Reserve. And that was executive order 11110, which called for the printing of silver money in this country. At the time that John Kennedy was killed, interest in this country was 21% from the Federal Reserve. So if you lost your house or home or business and you needed a loan, that's stiff interest. So John Kennedy thought, you know, the uh, Constitution calls for us to mandate the Treasury Department to print our own money. So he printed money and you only had to pay back one and a half percent. Can you imagine anybody ever borrowing from the Federal Reserve again? No. And I have some of these notes and some of these notes are in the film. The second he was shot, those presses were stopped. And no president yet has had the courage to print the money because that executive order has never been rescinded. Hmm. But why doesn't Donald Trump sign an executive order reversing the Communications Act? Nobody in America should be allowed to own more than seven radio stations or television stations. When Kennedy was killed, 1,000. 500 different Americans had a television or radio station or newspaper. You wouldn't remember a guy named Father Coughlin. I used to listen to him as a kid. The most racist human being I ever heard. He hated Jews. He hated blacks. He would have had all of them incinerated. But he had a radio show. And people could decide for themselves if they loved him. And look at Henry Ford was also a racist and also spoke on his show all the time and they were all attacked and they were all applauded i mean if we're adults we should be able to listen to anything and everything fortunately now we can get a lot of it on the internet but as i say in the movie the internet to me is like a box of cracker jack it's full of nuts and it's full of corn <laughs> uh, once in a while you'll find a great prize at the bottom of the box well, your old, friend, uh, your old friend Byron Allen is going through a bit of litigation with some of the big behemoth Comcast about, um, you know, getting some of his television uh, content, you know, presented on their channels and such. Well, um, man, I, there's so many directions we could go, but obviously I don't want to keep you too much longer. And hopefully and obviously anytime you want to come back, you are more than welcome to come back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, John Barber's world dot com. If you want to find any of his stuff. Um, yeah. Here's what I would suggest. Yeah. Uh, it's www.johnbarbersworld.com. When you go there, you should watch the first five Garrison files. You will find the facts that he had on Clay Shaw. Clay Shaw had a guy named James Whalen who was paid $25,000 to murder Garrison, paid by the CIA. 
Mm. And, and, and Whalen went to Garrison and he said, I thought about killing you, but it got to be too big and scary for me. And it wasn't for the money. I have a very sick daughter. And Clay Shaw said the government would get me the best medical doctors and practitioners in America to cure my daughter. That's why I thought about killing you. And, and also what he had is we, he had three $20 male hookers signing affidavits about how they had sex with Clay Shaw, Lee Harvey Oswald, and David Ferry. Now, Jim wins the perjury case. Imagine, here is Clay Shaw, this beacon of respectability, this businessman in New Orleans. Do you think Clay Shaw wants to hear James Whalen telling a jury? Do you think he they want these three young male hookers in there talking about what they did to Clay Shaw for $20? No, he would have spilled the beans. And the CIA, there is a memo in the film. In 1967, it says, we must help Clay Shaw or Jim Garrison's going to win his his conspiracy conviction. Hmm. There is proof. There is proof that they hindered and obstructed the most important trial in American history. And and Kennedy said he was going to blow them to the wind. Also, hmm. you'll be stunned. Lee Harvey Oswald was in the. Uh, in uh, uh, the chief of police Curry's office for about eight hours. And there was never a tape recorder and there was never a stenographer because they Curry said uh, and Fitz said, well, there wasn't room for it. <laughs> Jim Garrison, this is how smart he was. If you watch, if you go to the Oswald files, he got all the information that was spread the day of the murder. You have headlines from newspapers say that second shooters on the loose. You'd be stunned at what he had. But he found a guy who was in the office. Do you know that Lee Harvey Oswald was never asked if he shot either Kennedy or Tippett? Right. And you know why? Do you know why? No. Why do you think he wasn't asked? Now, Listen, there were uh, 18 guys at the office, and maybe four or five were CIA or FBI. Right. Because anytime one of the detectives tried to ask a question like that, he was stopped. And the reason he was stopped, because here's this 20 or 21-year-old kid. If he's asked directly if he murdered John Kennedy or mur murdered Officer Tippett, you know what he is going to say? Yeah, hell no, are you kidding? I'm with the CIA. I'm just a patsy. Right. He didn't get right. to holler that until he got out of that office and was taken away. Yeah. And the other thing about Jim Garrison, I want to say two quick things about him. He found the guy who gave the order to Jack Ruby to murder Oswald. And you know how he did it? Hmm. He got all simple CSI detective work. He got all the phone records of Clay Shaw, David Ferry, Lee Harvey Oswald, and Jack Ruby. And what happened is they all made this phone call to a Chicago number. And the number belonged to a mafioso businessman named Lawrence V. Myers. Lawrence V. Myers happens to be in the Warren Report he was at the cabana the day before that Oswald was shot, and his guest was Jack Ruby. How simple is that? Mm. It's simple. It's simple. Right. But the investigation in the murder was covered up. Yes. Now, the last thing I'll say about Jim Garrison is the kind of magnificent, decent human being he was. The stress of this caused him to lose his family. His wife divorced him. And he had five children. And, of course, he lost the greatest DA's office in the United States. Anyway, his wife was easy, easy picking. She got a lot of money when she got the divorce, and she was easy pickings for the next husband. And the next husband spent every cent that she had. And Jim Garrison, when I was talking to his daughter, he was on his deathbed in 92 when I was making my film, and Oliver Stone was making his film. And it was Elizabeth, the daughter, who was the go-between, who talked to me and she told me this story about her father. He's on the desk, her deathbed, 
And he gathers the children one day and he says, hey, kids, I want you to get me a wedding certificate. I want you to gather up your mother and bring her over here. And also my friend, the minister, I'm going to remarry your mother. And they thought he was nuts, of course. No, no, I'm going to remarry your mother. Well, of course, she thought he was nuts. She showed up at the house and said it didn't work the first time. And so he said on his deathbed, well, honey, you won't be with me long anyway. The reason he married her, he said, listen, you've lost everything to some jerk that you married. I have a very large pension as a judge. I'm not going to be around to spend it, but you will be as my widow. And he got married and he died and she lived off the pension. Wow. That's, wow. A, that's a great story. That's a great story. What about a him. great guy. Yeah. Sounds like, and so I mean, just a hero, man. I mean, like I said, to risk speaking truth to power as we see it. And that's almost kind of let me, my last question to you. As we just mentioned, you know, we just saw a coup in Bolivia and they're knocking on the door of Iran again. When I was a kid, when I was this young kid watching this huge event take place and it totally shaped how I saw the world. And I was like, man, we would never let anything like that happen again. I'm so glad we know so much more. And then, of course, 9-11 happens. And almost, I mean, not to get too deep into that, but that same kind of darkness that maybe that did that and covered it up and opened this blank checkbook on the war on terror and, you know, war is a racket and the, the same entities are there still. What lessons have we learned, sir? We haven't learned any lessons. And I'm going to tell you something. I, You know what? Uh, the reason Trump is president is because he's not Hillary Clinton. Almost everybody, I, I have one of my closest friends moved away from America to Thailand. He was afraid she'd become president, okay? Is that uh, folks said they voted for the lesser of two evils. Right. Why vote for any evil? You know what I would love to see? I would love to see a boycott of the elections. I would love to see, see 300 million Americans sitting on their ass doing nothing. Let the 1%, the 1,000 or 2,000 one percenters in the country, they're the ones that own the country anyway. They're the ones that own the presidency. They own everything. They own the corporations. You know what we suffer from? We suffer, and I've never said this before, and it just occurred to me. We suffer from wife beaters syndrome. Stockholm syndrome, yeah. Stockholm syndrome. How many women do you know who are beaten by their husbands and they never leave? Yeah, we talk we about that. We are beaten yeah. every day by this extremely corrupt government. And we stick with them. And we so make excuses thoughts, for it. What are your what are your thoughts, your true thoughts on Trump? I mean, I have I have stated before that I have meters on things that Trump will will or will not do that would make him who he says he is or who he is not. Now, Jeffrey believes that that it's just one mafioso family taking out another, which I, I can plainly see that that's a possibility. But, I mean, if if Trump, as you said, you, you know, he constantly talks about fake news, uh, some way we, we've got to see a reversal of the NDAA and, and the legalization of, of propaganda in the media. I think uh, if Trump invades but, Iran, Trump's he's not who he said he was. And, and if there are no perp walks for the corruption... Um, that took place in the last administration and the spying on Trump. Um, if 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 those things don't take place, uh, you know he he either is or he isn't. But how do you see it? Well, uh, the thing, he is the least impeachable president we've had. George <laughs> Bush should have been impeached. Thank Bill you. Clinton should have been impeached. Yes. And George Bush Senior was an absolute traitor because Jimmy Carter got the hostages freed from Iran, and George Bush is the head of the Central Intelligence Agency and the vice presidential candidate, made, an, uh, made a deal with the Iranians to not release the hostages so that Reagan could win and they'd make it a better deal. And it was known as Iran-Contra. And Bush is quoted in the movie as saying, if people knew what we were really doing, they'd chase us down the street and hang us. Lyndon Johnson should have been impeached. A phone call to the Ukraine is not an impeachable offense, even if he says, listen, will you look into what Biden's son is doing? That's dirty politics. Yeah. And America's built on dirty politics. It's from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln. It is not an impeachable offense. Now, personally, I think that Donald Trump is the 
least articulate president I've ever heard. But he has said one or two things that I've never heard anybody say since John Kennedy, which is astounding. And you may recall, it was about two, maybe eight or 10 weeks ago. He was saying, you know, it was right after that the, 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 uh, uh, that drone uh, attacked a refinery yeah, right in Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia. And he was sitting with sort of a smile at his desk, and he said, you know, I just got a call from the Pentagon, and they sent me over a, a message here and a note. He points at it, and they picked out 12 par- targets for me to attack in Iran because the Iranians uh, sent this drone over. And then he said, I'm getting calls from the Saudi prince all the time. The Saudi prince who obviously murdered that reporter, ordered the murder of that reporter. He said, but I'm getting getting calls all the time that we have to definitely attack Iran. And then he looks into the camera and he said, you know, that would be the easiest thing in the world for me to do. And he taps the table with his finger and he said, all I have to do is push a button. He said, but we don't have proof it came from Iran. And he said, and we do not have uh, uh, proof even from the Saudis. They just say it came from the north. And I am not going to be murdering thousands of people over something over which we have no proof. That is the first humane thing that I've heard any president say since John Kennedy. But I don't hear him saying it often enough. I don't hear him saying it about students loans. I don't hear him saying it about the terrible, terrible medical conditions in America. I mean, it's just America would have to improve just to be a mess. So maybe <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of these people in the Q, uh, Q movement, they think he will make massive changes after the next election. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, right now, uh, there is, I mean, why Bernie Sanders even got yeah. 15 minutes of airtime is beyond me after, because he had, do you know that when, when Bernie Sanders was running before the election, his crowds were as big as Trump's, yeah. except he had 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds, whereas Trump had 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. He could have easily formed a third party or joined the Green Party and at worst put it into the House of Representatives. Instead, he folded his tent and he moved into the tent of the Wicked Witch of the North. <laughs> Do you remember when Gaddafi was murdered? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's on television. We came, she, we saw, he we, died. And, and she cackled like a witch. Yeah. And you know what? I, I sent a note to Bernie Sanders. I said, if you want to get rid of her, play that the next time you're in a debate. Of course, I never hear it. And they're not going to play that, something that makes her look evil, which she is. Yeah. She, like Obama, was recruited long ago by the Central Intelligence Agency. How many people could you have disappearing around the Clintons without having this Praetorian Guard, CIA, protecting their well-being. And of course, Obama's mother was CIA. Anyway, we'll see see what will happen in the next election. But I would suggest everybody go to www.johnbarbersworld.com. You can see the first documentary, The Garrison Tapes, free. But look at the Garrison files. They will blow you away. And then if you want to see the complete files, We've all, uh, uh, David Lispie, my brilliant webmaster, has them up there. Some of them are 100 pages and they're great reading. But the, the YouTubes I did are only eight minutes because I don't want to bore you people with any that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not boring. It's what it is, is for yeah. most, for most he, Americans, for most yeah. Americans, unfortunately, John, this is laborious work for them to even listen to a podcast, let alone research and find the truth for themselves. That's why we do this show, to just give it to people. We, we, we're that's lucky to be able to talk to that, guys like you. That's absolutely true, but this is not research for them. This is thrilling theater. If yeah, they you're right. My site, it's thrilling theater, and if, if there are any people left that read, that love <laughs> a fantastic read, 
I must tell you, my book is absolutely the very best book ever written about anybody who is in show business. You can find the link up there, or you can go to Amazon or Goodreads. Every review is a five-star review. Give them, give them the name of the book again, John. Called Your Mother's Not a Virgin. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to hear you say it exactly. one more time. Bumpy life and times of the Canadian dropout who changed the face of American television. And again, both yeah. of you, I want to thank you so much. You know, I have, I've only uh, heard you guys once before because I'm so swamped with these things. But I would yeah. stand on a street corner to tell Jim Garrison's story because I'm a storyteller. I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. I am just a storyteller, and that I do well. That's why Real People became the highest-rated show in American history because yours truly was a storyteller. Yeah, and good, a very good, good one at that. On He's you. seen good it all, done you. it all. I can't thank you enough, sir. And again, continued success. Continue doing what you're doing. Check out the link, ladies and gentlemen. There was just volumes and volumes of content there that'll keep you busy for some time, especially when we hear the holiday season where you have a little downtime. So use it productively. John Barber, again, thank you so much for everything, sir. Patrick J. Militich, always love you, brother. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, peace and so much love, everybody. There will always be more. <laughs>